today is our season two, which is our last message and our focus. Uh, it's really on the 13th Apostle. Uh, and uh, the 13th Apostle was really the story of how Saul actually became Paul. How Saul, someone who is so far away from God. Uh, in fact, some people say that he's the greatest opponent. Now he's the biggest proponent. Uh, some people say he's the antagonist. Now he's the uh, protagonist. Okay, so that little switch of thinking. Someone who is so far away from God and how God used him and reached out to him and became one of the greatest servants of God. In fact, I wrote most of the New Testament and after three chapters from now, you will begin to hear the story of Paul, how he took the gospel to all the other parts of the world. So we're going to kind of begin by telling you that, oh, by the way, we have the Bible reading plan uh, which means that every week you can read beforehand. And my whole goal is that you walk away this season, really understand the book of Acts. Uh, honestly, in all our dialogue, I have yet to actually have people who took the Bible and asked me biblical questions based on their reading. Okay, and lots of you will ask, you know, based on what you hear from the message or whatever question that you had. But I hope that this season anchors you with the book of Acts. All right, now I'm going to begin by first of all showing you a map. Uh, this map is pretty much the summary and Acts 1 all the way to Acts 8 before we hit on Acts chapter 9. So Acts 1 all the way to Acts 7, which is the seven first chapters of the book of Acts, really cover the story that happens in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem is where all the Jews from all over the world gather at the day of Pentecost. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, preached a powerful message. The church was birthed and the thousands of people get saved. Now, all this happened in what we call the temple. Now, that temple is a huge temple. In fact, it is known as the second temple because it's a huge extension from the temple they were trying to rebuild uh, when Ezra they all came back. And it took them until AD 64 before that temple was completely built. And by AD 70, the Rome came and totally destroyed the entire temple, right? Funny story, right? But the fact is this, that temple is 36 acres, which means that it is almost the size of 30 football field. Can you imagine? That's how mega and massive it was stated that that temple occupies one-fifth of the known city of Jerusalem by then. So that temple, in fact, was one of the wonders because by then, that's such a sheer, huge temple layered with gold at some part to show its, uh, its, its, its how should I say, the awesomeness and the glory of who God is. And that temple was the temple that Peter and John walked. And then the Bible says that when he preached the gospel, 3,000 people were saved. That's so easy. You know why? Because there were thousands of priests serving in such a massive temple, plus the worshippers that were there, which is why the second message they preached, 5,000. So by then, the city of Jerusalem, first church grew one to two years to be about the size of 20 or 25,000 people. Then you got the, all the problems, the internal problems, and then you got a story of how persecution began to rise. And persecution began with threatening, then it was beating, and finally, in Acts chapter 7, we had a story of the first martyr, which is now persecution has escalated to until death. And Stephen, who was martyred. And the Bible tells us the story, Acts chapter 8. Persecution came, and all the disciples were scattered all over. It began with the story of Philip, which was scattered together as a deacon in the city of Jerusalem. And he went to Samaria, preached the gospel in all the city of Samaria. Lots of people get saved. And then Acts 8 tells us that God took him to Jerusalem, to Gaza, somewhere there, met a eunuch, preached the gospel. And then all the way, he bring him to other, city, other parts of the, uh, by the coastline until Caesarea. And he 
preached the gospel everywhere. Now that covers the entire city of Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria where the gospel began to grow. So you can see in the gray color map, in the blue color, those are Judea, Samaria, and then now we're going to move a little bit to Galilee and beyond that, which is a city of Damascus. So Paul, uh, which we're going to read the verse shortly, he kind of began from Jerusalem, travel all the way to Damascus to hunt for Christians so that he can persecute. Now, that's where we're going to begin the little story in the books, chapter uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 1. All right, let me read it to you, and then we'll kind of walk through a big portion of the chapter. Uh, only a few verses, we're going to kind of skim that through, okay? Now, Acts chapter 9, verse 1, then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciple of God, which means that every breath that he has, he has only one sole mission, one sole purpose, which is wanting to catch as many disciples of the Lord. And why does he say so? Because he's a Judaist. He's a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He's someone who believed in the purity of Judaism. So he was trying to preserve the purity of Judaism. Uh, he went to the high priest and asked letter from him to the synagogue of Damascus, which means that at that moment, a Saul is like us needing to get meaty letter so that we can travel, right? Lots of roadblock. But not meaty, he went to the high priest, uh, Caiaphas most probably, and he asked letter for him to go to the synagogue of Damascus. Why Damascus? 200 kilometers away. Because Damascus, Josephus tells us, was a huge gathering of the Jewish community. In fact, it was stated that estimated by Jesus' time, there's about 10 to 20,000 Jewish Jews that was in the city of Damascus and it was estimated to be about 50 to 70 synagogues all over in the city of Damascus. So Paul or Saul have heard of there's a gathering of Jews, you know, and people are converting to Christianity. I must go and check it out. So he went. So that if he found any who were of the way, why they call it the way, uh, some scholars believe that it was kind of a mockery because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So they kind of say, you know, those who believe in Jesus, they are called the way, okay? And then he says, who were of the way where the men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So I want you to know Saul was the first away from who were uh, really worshipping Jesus and that story is going to change, alright? As he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground, heard a voice saying to him, it says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know, I was intrigued by that little phrase. You know why? Because when Jesus spoke to Saul, he never tells Saul, he says, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? He never said, why did you persecute Stephen? He never, he never talked about why. He says, why are you persecuting me? You know what? Something about Jesus that takes it very personal whenever the body of Christ suffers. Uh, he took it so personal to him. You know, in fact, as I ponder about that little verse, and I ponder about Matthew 25, where Jesus told, you know, the story of end time. And then he says, some people is going to come to God, and Jesus is going to say that, you know, when I was hungry, you never fed me. When I was thirsty, you never gave me drink. When I was naked, you never clothed me. Remember that little phrase? And then the, the, the people is going to ask, when did you see you hungry? When did we see you naked? Then Jesus said, when you do it unto the least of this, you do it unto what? Me. Which means, uh, biblically, you can see that uh, Jesus actually feels for us more than what we think He feels. Did you know that? 
You know, in fact, this season, I think it's one of the most stretching seasons because of pandemic. We had uh, our church people, some of them, the, the external family uh, who potentially have moved on. Uh, some of them was in ICU and I know that some of our church members themselves are in ICU. Uh, in fact, I think a couple of days ago, we kind of said goodbye to Josh Rondilla. Uh, and you know, when you see through all this difficult season, though I cannot explain, but one thing I can tell you is this, God feels for us more than what we can imagine. And I think when Christ came, the Bible says, He shall be called Emmanuel, simply means God with us. The very thing and the very truth that no matter what we are going through, whether the ups and downs, the valley of the shadow of death, the Bible says, He shall be with me. Something about God is with us that kind of give me all the strength. You know, I, I've said this before, I kind of joke with my kids, right? I give you two options. One option is I provide everything for you for the rest of our 30, 40, 50 years, you know, all the money that you had and all versus the fact that you have a dad that not just, that don't provide all those, but stays with you uh, and go through the ups and downs of life. So something that I want you to value is no matter where your life is heading, I want to say that God feels for us more than what you and I can imagine. In fact, when you look through the gospel, the Bible talks about Jesus felt weary. He understands what it means to be tired. He understands what it means to be betrayed. He understands what it means to be hungry. He understands what it means. In fact, the Bible says he doesn't even have a place to lay his head. He, he experienced poverty, so to speak, uh, having owned nothing. You know what I'm saying? So Jesus have an array of experiences. That's why Hebrews say he identified with us. So I just want you to know, as you're watching this, you might be going through some of your most difficult journey. I want you to, first of all, reach out to people, but I want you to know that God is with you. He understands what we're going through. So he says, why are you persecuting me? And, he, and then Paul says, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Uh, is it hard for you to kick against the goats? The goats are something that's sharp, something that's hard, that whenever, you know, kind of help to steer the oxen, you know, so whenever they rebel, they try to kick against and oh, it, it hurts them back, okay? So, so Jesus was trying to tell everything that you have done, Paul, uh, Saul, everything, you the killing of Stephen and all those, it, it kind of hurts back your conscience, isn't it? All right? And then he moved on. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Now, if you are watching this, could you just say it together with me? What do you want me to do? You know, I want to say this, okay? In this story of Paul, Acts chapter 9 today, I want you to see and watch the conversion of Saul. How Saul becomes someone that's far away from God and the journey that he became someone that became the biggest voice for God. And you will see his conversion pattern. And in fact, that's what the Bible says. I'll show you the verse later. And I want you to compare with you, right? And see how far are you with your conversion, your encounter with God and Saul. Now, I know that we never saw the light. We never fell down from the horse. We never had all of that. But minus all of that, there are different ways God reached out because everyone is unique. But I like this because here this Saul says, God, what do you want me to do? At some point in your life, in your Christian walk, you must ask that question. I can remember praying that prayer at my, beside my bed in Bible college. What do you want me to do? I can remember the route that I took near the medical college near USM there, where I take my walk all the time and ask him, what do you want me to do? I can remember taking on that bike and round certain places and go, what do you want me to do? You know, I can imagine, I can, the guitar that I took, the 
36 ringgit kapok guitar where I play broken string and say, what do you want me to do? Now, something about when you become a Christian, it's not what God, what can you do for me? But at some point, you want to grow to a point of what can I do for you? What do you want me to do? That's what the question Saul asked. And then the Lord said to him, arise, go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So God is going to give him the job description for Saul. Which city is he going? Damascus. On the way to Damascus, saw the light and then it says, go in to Damascus. And the man who journeyed with him, which is always Machai, uh, stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground. When his eyes were opened, he saw no one. So he saw the light, he was blinded. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drink. I want you to know that three days is phenomenal. You know why? Because these three days is the greatest change that happened in the internal soul of Saul. Why? He used to be someone furthest away from God. He hated Christians, persecuted, uh, put to death some of them. The Bible says he heartily agreed when he saw Stephen's death. In fact, some scholars believe that he was the main person that caused Stephen to die because they laid the clothes in front of his feet. So Saul was at the other extreme. And three days later, he's going to be someone who now loved Jesus and loved the people that he persecuted. You know, there's so much of regrets and guilt and all he needs to work through in his heart. So for three days, no food, no drink, no grab, nothing. He just stayed all by himself. And then the Bible says, at the same time, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Everybody said, certain disciple. And everybody said, Lord, help me to be that certain disciple. You know, every time when God wants to do something, He always used people. And he always go to a certain disciple. You might be that certain disciple in that medical faculty. You might be that certain disciple in that hospital. You might be that certain in the, in the Batna Kinrara. You might be that certain disciple in Subang. You might be that certain in, but in that particular college. Because God says, I'm looking for someone in Damascus. And then he found Anna, that certain disciple. Now, let me just pause here and say this, okay? Could God just appear to Saul and do everything he and Saul transaction can? Of course he can, right? He knocked him down from, he could have just appeared to him and said, Saul, you know, a couple of types slap and say, Saul, I want you to change your life, whatever. But you know what? God was amazing. You know why? Because he did not do it just by himself. He always uses human. You know why? Because God seek for partnership. So he used the body of Christ, which also tells you another big principle that Saul needed to embrace a new community. A lot of people say, you know, it's just really me and God. No, it's not. It's really you, God, and others. Because something about others that can do something in your life that is that certain disciple, Ananias. You know, I think about, uh, okay, let me just move on first, am I? And he says, here am I, Lord. So the Lord said to him, he says, arise, go to the street called Straight, which today, if you go to Damascus, there's a street called Straight. It remains still today. And inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. So he gave him very specific uh, detail about where to go, which street, uh, and then which house? And then he says, when you go there, I want you to say, I want you to see something. He says, he is praying. Now, two thoughts. First of all, this is another incredible story of Saul praying. God spoke to Saul, which, right, which the next verse says, in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming to you, putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. So, while Saul was praying, three days, God spoke to Saul, Ananias is going to come. Ananias, in his prayer, God spoke to Ananias and said, you go meet Saul. It's another incredible story of how two prayers comes together, creates a miracle. Uh, I, I just want to say this, okay, that 
every one of you that's listening to this, I want to encourage you, every time we gather to pray, this morning we had Chiras prayer together. Yesterday afternoon we had Rimbayu praying together. Uh, next weekend we're going to have church-wide praying together. Every time we had that little 30 minutes, 40 minutes, come. You know why? Because you never know that in that prayer, a destiny was set. A path was charted. A vision was dropped. And that is a story of two prayers, Ananias and Saul, and kind of peace together, right? Then the Bible says, uh, Ananias answers, says, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. So Paul's re uh, relentless pursuit about Christianity or against it is, is in Facebook, YouTube, Malaysia, Kini, Star, everywhere, okay? He says that how much he... Uh, he has harm, uh, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to buy all who call upon your name. Obviously, and then I heard about all this horror story. But the Lord said to him, go for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name. And then he gave them the three categories, Gentile kings, to Gentile, to kings, and the children of Israel. For I'll show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Uh, you know, that was incredible. So through Ananias, God told him this man is going to appear to kings, which he did to King Agrippa and eventually to, to all the way to Rome, you know, and then he, he ministered to the Israelite and to the Gentile because he's going to be huge. But God also tell him that he is going to suffer for my name's sake. We're going to kind of end in Acts chapter 9 with a little glimpse of the first suffering, the first fruit of what Saul or Paul is going to go through the rest of his life. But I want to say this, okay? I want to say that the importance of when, remember, uh, I talk about how, look at Saul's life, his conversion. His conversion that he learns how to move to what we call prayer. Just, just that little emblem of what it means to be a new life in Christ. Number two, the Bible talks about how he now embraced a new community. How Ananias and these other people that speak truth into his life. You know, I want to say this, okay? You know, sometimes when you go for life group, you may think that it is just showing up, but you never know on that day, something that God spoke to you two days ago in your devotion was exactly the word that someone needed. God has meant for the body of Christ to be a place where my life transact with your life, interact with your life. There's something about what God is doing is going to inspire you. Something that God is doing in your life is going to inspire me. That's the way it was meant to be. It was never just meant to be me and Jesus alone. All right, now Acts chapter 9, move on. Ananias went his way, entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, brother, can you imagine this guy who, who's so scared of Saul, right? Now obey God and he said, brother, he says, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you come has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. God saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, the Bible says, there fell from his eyes something like scale. Now you must understand, Luke is a medical doctor. So he's able to describe like that, something from scale, right? If it is just lame and say, quadruple, you know, just now he, he see already, you know, that kind of thing. But I say, he says, scale moved on and he received his sight at once and he ro arose and was baptized. So here it is, Saul, God saved three days. God dealt with him, greatest transformation, understand community, Holy Spirit baptism. And then the Bible says he was water baptized all in the same instance. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus, all right? Now, what happened? Immediately, wow. Which means uh, his conversion. He got saved, understand community, 
water baptized, Holy Spirit, and then the Bible says immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues. You notice the word S? Because there were many synagogues in Damascus that he is the Son of God. All who heard were amazed and said that is he not the one who destroyed those who call on his name in Jerusalem and has come here for the purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength in confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is Christ. You know, I love this verse. I pray that this verse mark your life and my life. That even in pandemic, we increase all the more in strength. And we wanted to help those who stay in Puchong, in, in Subang, in Kia, whatever, that Jesus is really the Christ. May, may God help us to kind of take on that entire portion attitude. So here it is, Paul. Uh, amazing, right? Uh, he had this fantastic conversion and, and all the things he had encountered, and he just grew stronger and stronger after that. Now, we're going to make a little twist because... Then, verse 23, he says, after many days were passed. Galatians chapter 1, when Paul was describing to the church in Galatia, he talked about that many days were actually three years. He talked about how in Damascus, he went to Arabia. This is not Saudi Arabia. This is Arabia, which is just a bit west part of uh, Damascus, okay? What was he doing there? Nobody know. But obviously, God was dealing with Saul for that three years. He was preparing his heart and whatever it is, okay? And he says, after many days were passed, he went back to Damascus. That's what Galatians says. By then, the Jews plotted to kill him because now they recognize that Paul was such a force to reckon with. He is now the biggest. Can you imagine all the testimony? I used to murder and kill and catch Christian, but now I tell everybody that Jesus is, I mean, such a powerful testimony, right? So they plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul and they watched the gates day and night, roadblock everywhere to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. Really kind of ended the story in Damascus by knowing well that Paul is going to be persecuted for the rest of his life. And that was that little glimpse where the, where the Bible says, Jesus told him, you will bear my name and you will be persecuted, right? And then the Bible says he went to Jerusalem, uh, which is a, then a story that was picked up in Galatians as well. And uh, we won't read, but he went to Jerusalem. And you know what? When he went to Jerusalem, there was another certain disciple called Barnabas. So he had a story of Ananias and a story of Barnabas, one in Damascus, one in Jerusalem. Barnabas now took his hand, explained to all the apostles the life of Paul, what God has done through him. And then the Bible says that because of this, uh, and uh, the, the Jews and all were jealous and uh, they wanted to come. And because he spoke the name of God and the brethren found out. And what happened was, as they were sorting to kill him, they took him sent to Caesarea, which is the only port in, in that Judea area, okay? Uh, if you want to know where Judea, where there's, there's just, uh, uh, sorry, after the Samaria up, upper part of that part. And then he took that port and he went to Tarsus, which is his hometown, where he, and then the Bible says uh, he's quiet for the next couple of years. And the next time you know him was three chapters later, where you found Paul now in a place called Antioch. And that's where he actually began his ministry. All right, now, that's that little conversion story of Saul and eventually became known as Paul. Okay, now, then he ends. Chapter 9, verse 31. The churches throughout all Judea 
Galilee, remember? If you saw the map earlier, you got Judea, you got Samaria, you got Galilee, and peace were edified, had peace, and walking in the fear of the Lord, in the comfort of the Spirit, they will multiply. That kind of ends the second season. Now, what's, what's the one walk away? I wanted to point all of you. You know, Paul had a certain conversion pattern. Uh, he kind of met God. He said, yes to the Lord. And I think the greatest conversion expression is, what do you want me to do? And that's what I want us to end at the end of the message. Then he found a new community, Ananias and Barnabas. He understood he's not just by himself. He, this is not a lone ranger. This is really a community, which is why again and again, if you're watching this, and I know some of you, you kind of reach out to me, but you are, you are slow in wanting to be found in a live group. Can I change your mindset? Because you could be an Ananias to someone or there is an Ananias and Barnabas waiting for you. You never know. But the Bible says there's a community and finally, he immediately, he preached the gospel. He's such a great commission kind of a guy. That three little marks. And I want, to, I want you to compare with your pattern. Does my conversion show's pattern like that? This is how Paul's pattern is. And can I emulate? Can I follow thereafter? First Timothy chapter 2, and this is where we're going to end the message because Paul, when he wrote the last book uh, before he was beheaded, and to Timothy, he explained to him this little passage. He says, I thank Jesus Christ our Lord who has enabled me because He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, he was describing him, a persecutor and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of God was exceedingly abundant. Paul was trying to help everyone who was, I was the furthest away from God. It was that grace of God, exceedingly abundant, with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. And then he says, this is a faithful and worthy saying of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. He's a chief sinner. That's why he, he branded himself. He says, however, for this reason, I obtain mercy that in me, that Christ Jesus might show all long-suffering as a what? Come on, as a pattern to those who are going to believe on Him for everlasting life. So Paul is trying to say this. He says, my conversion, it's a pattern. It's a pattern of God full of grace, mercy, took me furthest away, chief sinners, save me. If you are watching this, no matter how far you are, Paul says, that's my pattern. God will do it again and again and again. But more than that, he says, it's a sort of pattern that I was saved, move into community and be someone to say, God, use me. I want to end by really bring our focus to that verse 6 where Paul says, what do you want me to do, Lord? And I want to end by leading every one of you, wherever you are, you pray that prayer. says, God, what do you want me to do? You know, it was D.L. Moody uh, who one day went to a message, went to a, sorry, went to a service and uh, someone once said this, and someone, the preacher said, he says, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man and through a man whose heart is solely dedicated to him or whose heart is given to him. D.L. Moody was such a shy person. He didn't know how to respond to the altar call. But the D.L. Moody story tells you that he went back to his room, he knelt down by his bed, and he says, God, I will be that man. And that actually rewrote the story of D.L. Moody. He became one of the greatest evangelists ever in our generation or the previous generation. 
Paul has said this, okay? Something about what do you want me to do? Writes a new chapter for your life and my life. I want to lead all of us to pray that prayer together. And you never know. When you say that prayer, go open a new door for your life and my life. Let's pray. God, we come before you. We want to take this moment and end today's service by saying, oh God, just as Saul, what do you want me to do, Lord? A mark when someone crossed the line of faith and at some point in his journey with you, he had the understanding, it is not what can you do for me. It's God, how can I partner with you? How can I be a blessing to someone? What can I do for you? Lord, even as everyone that's watching this, no matter how old, no matter how young, no matter how far, no matter how near, no matter how new of a Christian, how old of a Christian, that we will pray together. It says, God, what do you want me to do? Lord, and I pray that we will write equally an incredible, powerful story of us reaching out, being a blessing, and bring many to Jesus. God, I bless everyone that hears the word. Let our response be deep. Let our response be sincere. Let's our, let our response be heartfelt. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. God bless. Amen.